food as an Easter tradition at your house and family. You may have grown up not having much. These two have traditions. They have a tradition of matching dresses, which you've continued this year very well. Very, very good job there. Um, oh, there's dad not remembering stuff. Um, I grew up, we had traditions, you know, maybe you did an egg hunt. Who did an egg hunt when you were a kid? Hide the eggs around. And who were the parents that were like really like trying to hide them? Like you had to find them, you know, and then they were left and you, you, you hid 20 eggs, but you found 15 and you didn't know where the other five were. That's the type of dad I am, you know, you just stick them somewhere. And as long as you don't do it inside your house, you're okay. You do those outside and learn about that one. Um, it, Easter's a great time. It's a good time for family. It's a good time for fun traditions, and I'm not against any of that. I think that's all great. But we do come to celebrate the real and true meaning of Easter, and that is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So we've come to celebrate Him, and we do that every week. It's amazing. But church happens uh, every Sunday, um, and we celebrate Jesus every Sunday. And you can do that every single day of your, the week, too, as well. So just in case you didn't know, we celebrate Jesus all the time. But this is a special, special Sunday in, in the body of Christ. Um, in our series, we were left off in Jesus leading up to, in Holy Week, he had the, the time with the disciples in the upper room. And we looked at that. He washed their feet. He taught them many things. They celebrated uh, the communion meal or the Passover as it was at that time. And they left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and the disciples slept. And then the, the, the folks came, the big mob came with Judas and betraying Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus uh, is led away to the high priest courthouse, the courtyard. And in this courtyard, Peter, uh, the bold Peter who would claim to never turn his back on Jesus, denies Jesus three times, um, even to someone as lowly as a servant girl, uh, could not stand up and say that this, I do know Jesus, but he, uh, professed, I do not know this man. And so this is kind of where we left off. If you would continue the story, you may be familiar that Jesus stands again before Pilate and even before Herod the king, Pilate the Roman governor. He stands before these, these people of authority and they tell Jesus that they are deciding his fate. And Jesus says, no, not really. I give my life. I lay it down. I'm, you're not deciding my fate. I am giving my life. And, and there's a curious phrase, and you can find this in, in John chapter 18, where Jesus is talking to Pilate. And, and they go back and forth, and Pilate's not getting from Jesus what he wants. He realizes this is an innocent man. Uh, I don't want to execute an innocent man. I want that on my conscience. Uh, but Jesus is not cooperating to try to get himself free. He's not like any normal person who says, oh, yeah, yeah, free me. Whatever i got to say, whatever i got to do, get me out of this. Because he's already resolved in his heart that he's going to drink the cup that the Father has given him which is not an enjoyable cup at this moment. It's not something he wanted to do, but he did it for us on our, our behalf. And so he tells Pilate that everyone on the side of the truth will follow him. And Pilate responds, what is truth? What is truth? What a powerful question that I think even today many wrestle with. What is truth? We wrestle that with our own life. What is truth? What is real? What, what am I supposed to be doing? What does is, what is reality look like for my life? And so that's not where I'm going to land the message today. That's not where we're going to focus. But that's a good point to think about because we're going to look at a truth, which is the resurrection. And the, the reality is that truth is powerful, but truth has to be applied to our lives. Truth in and of itself doesn't do a whole lot if we don't recognize it and receive it in our lives. We have to receive and recognize the resurrection for it to make any difference in our life. Jesus rose from the dead, but that doesn't necessarily change Everything in the world. 
people still go on their merry way and living life as they so desire. The resurrection, however, is a key tenet of the Christian faith. This is something that is not just uh, a fairy tale or just something we believe in a spiritual sense. That Jesus, you know, you know, in our hearts he rose from the dead, so we believe in this Jesus. But we believe in a very actual sense that his body was in decay, was dead. And God in his power raised him from the dead to a new and a higher level of life. And, and he ascended into heaven. Paul even says this in, in 1 Corinthians 15. If you're wondering about the Bible and where it says that, 1 Corinthians 15, I'll point you there, is a great chapter to study. In verse 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. So there's, there's something about the truth of the resurrection that is critical. It's not just what makes you feel better. I can tell you a bunch of stuff that doesn't have to be true. As long as it makes you feel better, that's all that matters. That's not the point of Christianity. It's not just to tell people stuff that makes them feel better. It, it's about a true thing that happened that changed the world, that changed the disciples, that changed society at that time. That could have meant nothing else in that nature could have changed it other than a, the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, he, I have a quote, and I put it on here. This is a guy, Charles Colson. You may be familiar with him, maybe not. But he was a special counsel to President Nixon during the Watergate scandal. He was a key person in the Watergate scandal. He was not a very uh, nice person. He was known as the hatchet man for President Nixon. But he went to prison for Watergate. But he says this, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Charles Colson became a believer in prison. He was not a follower of Jesus, but Jesus got a hold of his life while he was in prison. He believed this is a true story. This is not just something that will make me feel better while I'm sitting here, but it's going to totally transform my life from this direction to that direction. The resurrection has implications for our life. There's a promise built into it. It's not just an event that we look back to and say, well, that happened, and that's really cool. So we served Jesus, and he rose from the dead, and that's really awesome. But it has implications for our lives today. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. We have this promise of life eternal with Jesus. We have promise of when our bodies die one day and we go to funerals and it's sad and we wrestle with all of this stuff. And I know you've probably been to funerals where you're just struggling and people are struggling. You wonder, this is so terrible. How does this, how does this make any sense? The resurrection makes sense of all of this because that's not the end. There's a life eternal we can look to where we, we can celebrate with our creator and with those who are following him. We can live for eternity with him. Resurrection is a promise of power in the life to come and in the life right now. But we have to recognize and receive the truth of the resurrection in our lives for it to make any difference at all. Let me show you where this is coming from. Um, from John chapter 20. If you want to turn there, we'll look at three different people or, or, or groups of people and see what happens in their approach to Jesus being alive. John 20 is where we'll be. John 20. We'll pick up in verse 1. You can think of it like this. Um, you know, if you're, if you're hiding eggs for a little kid. I mean, we're way out high, all over the yard, under stuff. The eggs are all there, but if they don't go and look and grab them, 
doesn't matter. They don't get the A. There's things about life that we have. They make it all around us. Truth is all around us. Life is all around us. But we have to open our eyes and see what's there. And we have to reach out and receive what, what is offered to us. And not that God is hiding things from us. And maybe that's not the perfect illustration. But there's things that's all around us that God is trying to show us. And sometimes we are blind to see it. And so let me, let me look at and, and join with me here. John chapter 20. I need to open my Bible as well so I can read it with you. Um, and we'll see the fact that Jesus is alive, yet many people, their lives are not yet changed. Starts this in, in 20 verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, who we know is, is John. John just writing this, he always tells him, this is the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself. I guess because he's writing it, he can call himself whatever he wants to call himself. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. We means there were some other women that John doesn't mention, but we know from the other accounts that there's other women with her as well. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple, okay, this is, again, if you write, if you get to write the Bible, and you get a chance to write part of the Bible, not going to happen, but... Um, the other side, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We know that John was faster than Peter. This is true. He was, he was a little bit more in shape. I don't know. Peter liked to eat more. I don't know what's going on. John was in shape. He's faster. And so he outran Peter. It's good to know. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. See, Peter didn't care. He's just going to go in. He's the guy that's going to barge in. I'm not trying to be respectful. I'm just going to go straight in. And see what's going on here. He saw the strips of linen lying there. As well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself. Separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. Also went inside. See what it says here. He saw and believed. wonder what he believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So John, it says here, he had some sort of belief here. Peter didn't, but John believed something. It, most commentators say he believed that Jesus rose. He didn't understand the whole implication. He understand from the scripture, but he believed this was not just someone stole the body, but that something miraculous happened. That was John, but that wasn't everybody else. He started to see the truth, but let's see if it really makes a difference in his life. Verse 10, it goes on. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. They, and we don't know who she means by they. It could be, later she talks about the gardener, it could be the Jews. She thinks somebody has stolen his body, his enemies possibly. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you put him, and I will, I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that she had 
And she told him that he had said these things to her. Let's look at our first point this morning on your notes. If you're, if you're taking notes, I want to fill in. It says, Jesus is alive, but Mary is lost in despair. Jesus is alive, but Mary is lost in despair. The truth of the resurrection is real and in front of her, but Mary is lost in despair. What is despair? Despair is simply this. It's when we lose all hope. When you lose hope. Who's ever felt in despair in your life? Sometimes you just lose hope. Like you're hoping for something, you're hoping, hoping. I think we all get there at some point in different ways, in different areas. But we lose hope and we wonder, is this ever going to happen? Is this thing ever going to take place? Am I ever going to be at that place? Or is this what it's always going to be? She's lost in despair. Mary and the disciples' world had been turned upside down in a matter of a few days. Palm Sunday, wonderful. Palm branches, Jesus is awesome, on, riding in on the Jerusalem. And in a matter of a week, Passover, arrest, crucifixion, scattering of the disciples. What in the world is going on? Jesus is buried now in a tomb. Where, where are we headed here? This is not looking good. Now she comes on top of that and Sunday morning to apparently finish the process of embalming says she's bringing spices and she finds a stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. She can't even do what she's wanting to do and to just honor Jesus with the spices and finish embalming his body. Her immediate conclusion is that someone has taken the body of Jesus, but not that he was miraculously resurrected. That was not something that entered her mind. That somebody has taken this and it's, it's raining and now it's pouring. You ever felt like Mary where things are not going well and then something else worse on top of that? You know, like they can say when it rains, it pours, you know, it could be simple stuff. Sometimes it's not even huge stuff in life. You wake up, you know, and you're late, your alarm was messed up or you just hit it too many times. Um, then, you, you know, there's no food for breakfast or maybe you're not a breakfast person, so it doesn't matter. But there's, you know, you look down, ah, I don't have my bagel. I need my bagel. It's not there. You get in your car, gas is on E. You're like, oh, no. That's always me. It's like, why is my tank always on E? And then you get in there and there's traffic. There's an accident on the way. You know, like, oh, my goodness. You try to take a shortcut. It becomes a long cut. You know, then you get in the drive-thru. You know, and you, you go to Taco Bell. If you ever go to Taco Bell drive-thru, don't. Because you'll be there your whole life. Okay? Um, so you try to get that breakfast from Taco Bell. And you stay there for like 30 minutes. And it's just one thing after another. One thing after another. It could be something way more serious. That's, that's just silly stuff. But maybe it's loved one gets cancer. Then there's a job loss. Then who knows what else? Relationships are messing up, falling apart. All these sort of things can happen in our life. Sometimes at once and we lose hope. We, we, we just get into despair. Like what in the world is going on? I work at a place called Lex, Lexington Interfaith Community Services. We are a crisis ministry. Crisis ministry to Lexington. So we try to help people that are going through crisis. And you know what? A lot of people are going through crisis. A lot of people are going through hard times, more than you think. And that could be a, a, a sad thing to think of, but it also could be encouraging. If you're going through crisis, you're not alone. If you're going through something, look, there's other people as well that are going through things as well. So people come in constantly. Our lobby is filled with people that have issues and problems and crisis. And we, our whole mission is to glorify God by helping our neighbors in crisis. That's what we're trying to do. And, and, and so it's a constant, constant need because that's part of life. And Mary is in crisis and she can't see straight. And when we're in crisis, sometimes everything gets foggy. Cloud appears and we can't see what's going on. And you know what she doesn't see? Jesus is with her. Jesus is with her. When you're going through crisis, guess what? Jesus is with you. 
But you know what's hard to see sometimes? That Jesus is with you. What we see is our problem. What we see is our situation. What we see is all the stuff that we can't solve. And we sometimes fail to see that Jesus is still with me in the midst of this. He hasn't left me. He's going to lead me through. It may not be enjoyable. It may not be what I want. It may not even look how I imagine. But he is with me. He is not leaving me. In her despair, she can't see straight. This is what despair does in our lives. It creates a cloud or a fog that causes us to miss the blessings that are still around us, even in crisis. Causes us to, to miss the little things, the, the, the relationships we still do have. Sometimes we look at the woman, this is falling apart, but look, I still have these friends that are here for me. I, you know, this, this person is sick, but you know what? I got these healthy folks as well. We sometimes focus in on the crisis and the problem, but you know what? We still have many blessings around us. And sometimes that fog causes us to miss the good things that are still in our life. What does Jesus do for Mary in her despair? What does he do for her? Does he fix her crisis? Well, in a way, because he's alive. But what he does is he speaks her name. He gets personal. In, in the text, it actually, it changes. Her name is, is in the Greek, is Maria. In, the, in that verse where he speaks her name, it's Mary, Mariam. It's, it's Aramaic. He speaks a personal name to her. This is something like Lillian and Lily. I mean, it's the same name, but it's, it's personal. This is what Jesus does. He gets her attention. He, she hears all of a sudden, oh, oh, wait, this is Jesus. Somehow him speaking her name gets her out of the fog, gets her out of the crisis, gets her out of that. She realizes Jesus is here. Wait, everything's better now. And this is what I pray for your life. If you're going through a situation right now that you will hear the voice of God speaking your name, speaking your name. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. You hear that, it makes everything different. It doesn't make everything better, but it makes it bearable. Because Jesus will lift up the load and give us the peace and give us the strength we need to go through what we're going through. Number two, let's keep reading it. In verse 19, it picks up here with the disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples are overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus comes and appears to his disciples. Mary had given them a report. Jesus is alive, you guys. But you know what? That reality of the resurrection hadn't changed a bit. Hadn't changed anything for them. John had already believed. Nothing had changed. They were in a room, locked up, the upper room, for fear of the Jews. They were stuck, locked up because of fear. Huddled up. Wondering what in the world's going on. Fearing for their own safety. Fearing an uncertain future. Obviously they can't live the rest of their lives locked up in the upper room. But they didn't know what to do next. Fear has a way of locking us up into one place in life. When you get fearful about your life, you tend to just kind of hunker down. This is what I know. This is what I can do. We're fear of taking that next step. Maybe in a relationship. Ah, I don't know. No, I'm just push them away. I'm afraid of, of what to do in, in my career. I just know how to do this. I'm going to stick right here. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of fear. I don't want to single them out. My father-in-law, Carrie, 
taking a step of, of faith and getting a, a, another degree at his age, which is young, at his young age, right? So, I mean, to step out and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this new direction in my life, it's, it's a little bit scary. A lot of people let fear keep them from taking that next step, and they get huddled up in the upper room of their life, and this is all I'm ever going to be. Fear can lock us up, can keep us from becoming what God wants us to be. Have you ever been stuck because of fear? Afraid to move forward, afraid to make a decision, make a change. Maybe to relocate, afraid to propose. Not to say shit, I don't know. You did, I don't know how that works. Um, maybe to, afraid to, to give generously. I don't know, man, do I have enough? Is God, how's this gonna work? To share your faith. Go out and, and talk to somebody and share what Jesus has done in your life. Are you afraid to do that? Interesting we read, about John, that he had already believed, but fear was still in his life. He believed the resurrection, but it hadn't made a difference because of fear. And so sometimes we have a genuine belief, and many, I believe there's many Christians who believe in Jesus and believe in the resurrection, but they let fear rob them of the mission that God has called them to. John had not gone on a mission. He will. He surely will. But fear had been robbing him. So what does Jesus do for the disciples? He gives them his presence, his peace, and the Holy Spirit. His presence, he shows up in their midst. He says twice, peace be with you, peace. In the midst of your fear, have peace in your heart. Fear doesn't always follow a logical course, but you know what, peace doesn't either. Fear is illogical. Sometimes we're afraid of elevators. I don't know, I mean, somebody I know is afraid of elevators. I don't know if they're here today or not, but um, we, we have weird fears, you know, we're, fear, we're afraid of different things, but. Fear is sometimes illogical, but so is peace. The Bible says God will give us a peace that passes our understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds. It's illogical. Like, why, why do you have peace? You have cancer. Because um, I feel God's presence with me. I don't know. I just feel have peace. Well, I don't make any sense. You should be wigging out. But peace passes understanding as well when it comes from the Lord. So God wants to give us his presence, his peace, and he wants to breathe his Holy Spirit into our lives. Because the Holy Spirit gives us power that's not our own. We believe the Holy Spirit is, is like available for everybody today. The Holy Spirit didn't just, you know, you know, I'm going to watch TV now that uh, the Bible is written. I'm just going to chill because we have a Bible. No, we have the word of God and we believe every bit of it. But we still have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives too to give us power, to give us the ability to do what we can't do in our own strength. He empowers us to live a life that we can't live, to understand what the Bible is saying. The Holy Spirit is available to all of us. So that we could live a way that is not in our own strength. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and they will. It'll take them a little bit. They're in this process. They're receiving the Spirit. But God's going to pour his Spirit out and baptize them in the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. So why is this significant? This whole thing about the disciples. Well, what's the big deal here? Well, the truth is Jesus didn't change their circumstances. He, he alerted them to the reality of his resurrection. But their circumstances were still pretty bad because the Jews still didn't like him. Uh, they still had some people opposing them. They still had a hard road ahead of them, but that didn't change. But Jesus doesn't always change our circumstances, but he wants to change us. He's, he's interested not just changing your situation, but changing you. Because a changed you can change your situation. It can change the world. That's what Jesus is up to in our lives. And my prayer is that Jesus would breathe his Holy Spirit on his church and breathe this peace into our lives and we don't spend our lives sitting in the upper room of fear. Just hunkered down. This is all I know. This is all I'm going to do. 
But we would live our lives on mission in this world for the God that loves us and that saved us. And finally, number three, Jesus is alive, but Thomas is clinging to his doubts. Thomas is clinging to his doubts. Good old doubting Thomas. I like Thomas anyway. He's a good guy. We always just knocking for being doubting Thomas, but he's a cool guy. Um, this, this is where he's at. Verse 24. This is now Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. He's one of the twelve. Was not, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I don't know if he had run up to the store. They're like, yo, Thomas, we're hungry. Go grab us something. It was Thomas' job, I guess. Who knows? He wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, just like Mary told them. And what does he do? But he says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand beside, I will not believe. Thomas is, I identify with Thomas because Thomas is kind of like me, a little bit cynical. Like, I'm not trying to get duped. I'm not trying to, you know, people try to joke, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm skeptical a little bit. A measure of that is okay. You just got to be careful. But Thomas like, you know what? I'm not trying to believe on all this. I got to see this. This has got to be real to me. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas wasn't at the store. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you again. Then he said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, I heard you. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Thomas said, Okay, let me come. Do what I said. No. He was like, I don't need to do that, actually. I was just making all that up. This is enough. This is enough. This is enough. I just need to see. That's it. He said, My Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is alive, but Tom, Thomas is clinging to his doubts. Because Thomas wasn't present when Jesus appeared first, he struggled to believe all the disciples had told him. And doubt is not always about gaps in our intellectual understanding. This is important. When you deal with people who have doubts about faith, it's not about, if you just filled in this information, then I'll believe. Doubt is about experience or lack of experience. And many times, doubt is about bad experience. This is where really the rubber meets the road as believers, if you really call yourself a believer in Jesus. Because a lot of times people's doubts about Jesus are not doubts about Jesus, they're doubts about Christians. We've represented him poorly. We've said a lot of stuff. We've claimed this and that and the other thing. And people say, really? Really? That's Jesus? Well, if that's the case, this is really causing some... I don't know. I don't know about that. A lot of times when people read the Bible, they're like, I like Jesus. He's, he's pretty good. I don't know about these people, though. I don't know about all this. And this is really Thomas. He, his doubts are, are about lack of experience. He didn't have the experience that the other people have. Some people, they have doubts about maybe, you know, what's this Pentecostal crazy people, you know? Well, it's, it's a lack of experience. You know, some Pentecostals are crazy people. I've met them. You know, I'll be the first to say that. I grew up in that stuff. Some people are wacky. But some people in the mental hospital are wacky, too. You know, they're all over the place. So, yeah, the middle, the middle hospital are pretty wacky. Uh, but what I do know is that the Holy Spirit, because I have experienced the Holy Spirit in my life personally, is alive and is available to each one of us. And I don't know what he's going to do in your life. 
But I do know that he wants to show up and, and help you and be there for you. I know that. So, so I, I can tell you about my experience. I don't know, I don't know about everything, but I've experienced the Lord in my life personally. But you know, I'll be honest with you, I haven't always been the best representative of that. I know for a large portion of my life, especially when I was a younger person in high school, I was terrible. You know, I was one way here, another way here. I, I would go to church, talk about Jesus, lift my hands, praise the Lord, and go to high school. I mean, no one would know that. They wouldn't know the first thing. That, they would actually literally say, dude, you go to church? I mean, literally, people would say that. And I felt kind of bad, you know, which I should. But people would say that because then they're like, oh, wow, you go to church? Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing Bible quiz, and I'm, you know. But that, nobody would know the difference if they were at school. And that's the sad thing about our lives is sometimes we don't, not that, that we're going to ever be perfect. We're going to live our lives in some level of perfection and some holiness. Of, uh, God's calling us to holiness, but we got to realize we just got to take the next step. You know, you're not going to get from here to all the way over there tomorrow. we got to say, Lord, let me be authentic. Let me be real. And if I'm going to serve you, let me not be somebody else's bad experience. <laughs> let me not be somebody else's bad experience with Christians. Let me be somebody's good experience. That they see Jesus in me a little bit clearer in my life. They're not like, hmm, really? So Thomas gets to experience. That's what Jesus offers to Thomas. This doubting, skeptical person. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to show up in your life anyway. Even though you're full of doubts, even though you've lacked experience, I'm going to show up anyway and give you a personal experience. He invites Thomas to touch his side, his hands. He doesn't scold him for wanting to do that. He invites him to do it. Come experience me. I'm here. I'm for you. And Jesus invites all of us to experience and encounter him. That's the point of this series. That we can encounter Jesus in our life. It's not a religion that we subscribe to or check a box to and we attend some services occasionally. But it's something that can make a real difference in our daily life. And it transforms the very nature of who we are. This is what Christianity is all about. You may feel that Thomas may have felt left out or, or wonder why did Jesus not show up to me? What's the deal? Everybody else seems like they're getting in on this. And, you know, he could have felt those feelings of, of being left out. And maybe you feel that way today. You know, it seems like everybody else has had this stuff and I'm here. I've never experienced God. I've never, I don't know what this is all about. I'm kind of new to this. People talking like all this stuff. Well, it doesn't matter if you have zero or if you've been growing up in church your whole life. God loves you right where you are. God cares about you. He doesn't love one person. Oh, that's a really super Christian. Oh, I love them more. He loves everybody. And, and, and here you are today, available to him. All you got to do is open your heart up, and he will come and fill that with his presence. The final beatitude of the Bible is John 20, 29. It says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is us. I, I don't think Jesus... I don't know, he can do anything. Not things will show up in bodily form in your life and be like, I'm Jesus. See, now that you know, touch my side. So we don't get that. The disciples did. But we do get conviction. We do get that inner feeling in our heart that this is this is something I gotta respond to. We do get the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit in us. We do get little things along the way. We do get people in our life who are encouraging us. And we do get little things that we can respond to. And God will show up in a way that it will make sense if we see through the eyes of faith. If, if the band and those guys will come and we'll wrap this up this morning. John concludes this chapter with what the entire point of his gospel is. It's, it's in verse 31. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The whole point of this is that you would put your faith, not just up here, but your faith in the heart and life into Jesus as the Son of God. And that through doing that, you will have life in his name. Not just a ticket that gets you into heaven one day. Hold on to that one. Don't lose it. But life right now. Everlasting life. Life more abundant. This is what Jesus offers us. A life that's different. That we can't generate on our own. Life in his name. The truth of the resurrection is something that we all must recognize and receive. If we want to participate in its benefits. Despair. Fear. Doubt all can cloud our vision, can cause us to, to not want to put our faith in Jesus or, or can put us into a box and keep us from seeing what God's wanting to show us. Jesus will speak our name. He will show up and speak peace and breathe his Holy Spirit into us. And he will offer, I believe, to each one of us to experience him personally because he loves you that much. He does. You may have never encountered Jesus or God or whatever. You've just gone to services or maybe this is the first time you've ever been to a church service. I don't know. But I, I, I truly believe that Jesus wants to show up in your life in such a way where you will feel him and see him. And he will come and speak his life into you. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Maybe there's some fears that are, are preventing that. Maybe you've lost hope in things. But I want to encourage you. Jesus is with you this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to conclude with one more song. And um, I want to invite you to participate in whatever way that, that is meaningful to you. If you want to bow your head uh, and bow your head, that's fine. If you want to stand and, and sing, that's fine. If you want to come to forward to the altar or, or the stage, we call that altar, the stage. Um, whatever whatever's meaningful to you so that you can participate in this final song. We're going to sing this together. We're going to talk about the resurrecting king. It's resurrecting us.